Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting brands and digital agencies to unpack where they're at, where they're going, and how they're navigating the consumer landscape. I'm your host, Tim. So I'm changing up the format a bit for the rest of the year. I'm moving from a season-based schedule to weekly episodes. This will continue into next year also. I really appreciate you tuning in. So if you've got any feedback, you can hit me up at timatyourbasketisempty.com. On episode 60, I sit down with Tim Mazek. Tim is the founder of 1-800-DDC, a directory to help merchants identify the best software to use for their DDC business. Tim also runs Growth for Store Tasker, the go-to marketplace to hire the best freelance experts in e-commerce. We discuss how a passion for e-com and a spreadsheet turned into 1-800-DDC, the process of curating the most exciting DDC brands and tech, the power of differentiation through branding, why DDC is not dead, rethinking traditional events that focus on human connection, why Shopify will continue to dominate, and what's next for 1-800-DDC. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Tim, welcome to the pod. Where are you and how are you? Um, so I'm in London right now in my home uh, and I'm doing well. I uh, I just, uh, I was sick for about a week and now I'm now I'm back. I'd say I'm at 90%, so almost there. That's pretty good. 90 is pretty good. And, and was it COVID-like symptoms? It was just a flu. So it was just a long, long flu. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure about the COVID symptoms anymore. It feels like that. That's far away, but yeah, that's true. The good old fashioned flu. I think that's what we all need. Yeah, yeah. Get, get the COVID. Uh, so I want to talk about 1800 DC, and my understanding is that the sort of genesis was a spreadsheet, and then that led to what is now 1800 DC. But I'd love to get your take on the kind of the starting, the origins, and kind of where you're at now. Yeah, for sure. So it, it was a spreadsheet. And in some ways, it very much still is a spreadsheet. Um, the idea came about a year and a half ago when I was uh, helping a lot of D2C brands with their growth, um, especially at the very earliest stages of their journey. And so, um, you know, they'd, they'd always be on Shopify and they'd be uh, looking at what to do from a paid acquisition standpoint, how to build their site and all these th- different things. And then bit by bit, they would ask me, so Tim, like, we want to have reviews on the website. What do you recommend? Or we're thinking about now scaling up to have a proper customer support solution, which do we use? And I knew of certain solutions out there, but I knew I also knew that there's lots and lots coming up every other day. So I wanted to stay on top of it all. And I was doing a bunch of demo calls with these different vendors, and uh, and honestly, spending quite a quite a large chunk of time on those demo calls. It was at sort of around that time when I realized there was probably going to be a better way to to sift through that information, and um, that was going to be very reversing the search for software 
by looking not at the software solutions first, but actually looking at the best in class brands first. So if I knew what the best brands in the world were using from a SaaS standpoint, then um, I could take inspiration from that and use some of the similar tools because they've probably put a lot of research and time into it. So why not use what they have? So that's that's the idea. And then and then it was a long, long process of putting together that that spreadsheet, uh, which was on Airtable and still is on Airtable. And that's got two different sheets, one for brands and one for tools. And that's that's where the communication happens between both entities. So brand has multiple tools and a tool, an individual tool can be used by multiple yep. brands. And so it was, uh, yeah, started off as a spreadsheet and then and then built out um, a website uh, later down the line, launched on Product Hunt with a full website, not with the spreadsheet. And um, that was, yeah, that was about a year and a half ago now. Yeah, nice. So the the back end of the website is still Airtable to this day. Yeah, it's completely nice. no code. The whole thing is completely no code. So Airtable feeding into Webflow. Very cool. I'm a big uh, no code fan. <laughs> and in its current form, though, uh, I'm curious because you know it's kind of part discovery tool, but there's other sort of like you know arms to the kind of like. The offering or the proposition or whatever it is, how would you describe one eight hundred DDC to somebody who hasn't come across it as yet? Yeah, it's well, it's a it's a place to identify the best tools to use for your ecom business. That's the core, and the 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 second part to all that is the reason you want to look for these different best in class tools is because ultimately you want to build a better business, and so I do provide other things that help you build a better business. One, it's inspiration and stories from others who are doing that. So that's the under the hood blog series where I interview you brand founders and ask them how they got to where they're at. And uh, the second piece is a job board. A lot of times when I ask brand founders, what's their key to success? They talk about team. Yep. Team is a crucial part and hiring in e-commerce is, there's not a single go-to place to do that. Uh, and I want, the job board on 1-800-DTC to be the place where you find the best talent um, in the world of e-commerce. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about the, the talent piece. Because um, I don't think we, I think within the agency and the brand market, it's kind of hard to find people. And I find there's also this like romanticism of each side of the fence. Like mm. when you're in agency, you love the idea of working on a brand. When you're in a brand, love the idea of working in an agency. And sometimes those transitions don't don't work so well. So I think it's really interesting of having that kind of single source of truth and just a well presented, you know, researched kind of like job board for people to go and and, and find good people. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. And the you know the other component to that <clears throat> is passion, passion for e-commerce and brands. I think people who are in the space generally love this space. Mm -hmm. They 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 they're not really concerned. And there's so many opportunities. Like you said, you could work for an agency, you could work for a brand, you could work at a SaaS uh, tool. But what's connecting everyone is a love for consumer businesses, consumer brands. And I definitely have that passion, and a lot of other people do. So having one website that caters to to that demand really makes a lot of sense from a from a job board standpoint because if you were to go on you know 
on LinkedIn looking for jobs, you're, you're, there's not, it's not going to be curated enough. And, uh, and really all you're concerned about is, is, is companies who are hiring and have a passion for consumer brands the same way you do. Yeah, totally. It's a super interesting point. I saw a cool interview with the CEO of McDonald's talking about that idea of like the tangibility of like consumer products. And I think there is something very cool in that. Um, so I used to work in banking and it's not very tangible. Like you would look at these numbers and you'd think like, they're just not real. They don't make sense. You know, they're so mm. huge. You know, you're looking at like a hedge fund value or whatever, or like, you know, the stocks that, you know, make it up. And then, yeah, I think the consumer space, there is that like passion across all of them. I think like it, it isn't just the brands themselves. I think the agency people and the tech vendors and so forth, like everyone is super stoked to be in it. It's quite a cool community. Yeah, totally. And I would, you know, I would argue that even on the on the banking side, this is something I think about quite a bit. You're ultimately what what gets the the bankers interested about what they do oftentimes is analyzing businesses, corporations. How did one company manage to succeed when others didn't? And uh and oftentimes that business, although they can be in the B2B space, they're serving customers. And so we're still, there's still like, it's, it's, you, you know, the, 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 the people in finance who I would imagine have the most fun are the ones who are, uh, buying and selling brands like, but like Nike or like yeah, Lululemon, totally. yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. cause that's what's tangible. So, you know, in all realms of the professional world, we're, we're gravitating around consumer brands and those consumer brands help us navigate who we are in life. And, um, and I think that's part of why we love them. Yeah, totally. So I suppose thinking about uh, the brands themselves, how does the curation kind of process work? Like at the start, were you, were you reaching out to brands? Well, I suppose you had the spreadsheet it was an internal like tool, right? But then when you started of went a bit more public with it were you, were you reaching out to brands do they reach out to you or how does it work at the moment like anyone and everyone could be on it like how does the curation process work so there is definitely a curation process in place <clears throat> and it's <clears throat> there's some there's some there's some science um but it's also very much an art to curating these brands because what i want is a website where people can pull inspiration from and so uh I want the brands to have a real presence in the world of DTC. That's a, that's a starting point. They must be doing something good on the, on the direct to consumer front. Second, they must have good design because I want them to be aspirational brands. And um, three, they must have some sort of sign of, um, of real growth or of real success. And um, <clears throat> not every single brand on the directory will hit on all three but most often they'll hit on at least two components and that's the way I, I kind of curate them, but it's always, uh, it's always difficult. I was thinking this morning, there's three brands that I wanted to upload and they're all kind of on the verge, but they do really well from a, from an e-com standpoint. And I think there's lots to learn from them. So ultimately I decided to add them on the, on the directory. So that I'll have to keep, keep iterating on, keep thinking about. And, um, and I can't let that slip because I've seen I've seen other directories where they become less and less interesting over time. Totally, as the, the curation kind of drops, and uh, so that's that's and that's actually changed a little bit for me. When I first started out, I, I wanted to cover 
every single brand. And now I'm very selective about the brands. So there's just under 1500 brands on the directory. And um, I delete some every now and then that I don't think belong in the directory anymore. And I try and keep that curated. So yeah, hopefully that answers a bit of your question around the, the curation bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes that makes total sense. And like, it, it's very clear to me, and we'll talk a bit about like the branding of 1-800-DTC, but that curation process to me feels front and center. Like it's part of your tone of voice. It's part of your aesthetic. It's, it's kind of, it's to the core, which is really interesting. I, I'm curious though, before we get into that, just to sort of switch gears and talk about the the other side of the sort of marketplace here <laughs> and that's the tech vendors how does that kind of work so is 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 it is it brand first or uh, yeah how did you kind of like make that decision or how does that work from the tech vendor perspective so like uh do you look at tech vendors now and then will you bring their brands onto the platform if they meet your criteria or is it mainly more brand focused now? And then it's the tech that those guys are using. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's a good question. It's a bit of, it's a bit of all of the above. I would say I, there are certain tools that you definitely want to have on the directory because they're so core to uh, people's stack. So are they using Shopify? Are they on Shopify plus is, are they on WooCommerce? Are they using Klaviyo? Um, what are they using Okendo or is it Junip on the reviews front? What about customer support? Those core tools are going to be, they're all going to be there. And that was the starting point of 1-800-DTC. But more and more, as I spend time in the space, I get to meet great vendors who I get in contact with or I find out about. And I want to bring those onto the platform. So that could be anyone from a financing solution like Settle that helps you uh, prolong your your invoice, your your paying of your invoices. I get to learn about that business and I want to add it to the directory. I find out about some of the brands that are using it. And that's how I want to make sure there's at least an overlap of three brands already on my directory using yep. Settle before I bring them on. Otherwise you just have a bunch of ghost profiles essentially. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so so there that that criteria needs to be met. And um and other times people just reach out so they submit they submit information on the website saying i would like to be listed on your directory what's the process here and um and then we 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 get them listed so getting back to that point we were talking about before about your brand so there are competitors to you and my general observation is you you, you are a big differentiator on the brand like the way it looks and feels everything type font color scheme just the way in which you're obviously very um, uh, conscious of like how the brands and their imagery and the logos are like on your site. You know, it's very clearly thought about, which is a differentiated <laughs> compared to some of the others. Like, yeah, how much of that was part of the thinking or did that like organically kind of like evolve over time? It, it was very much part of the thinking since day one. Um you know, the, the, on the design front, the big shout out is goes to my wife. She's, she's called Marissa. She runs a design studio called um, Eastern Rodeo. And so she helped me craft the idea of uh, a modern take on the yellow pages. Yeah, so interesting. If, if, if you like the type of style, the font, the fonts, the, the color schemes and all that, that all came from her, um, from her brain. And she's really good at what she does. 
So I'm super blessed for that. But and you know, when it comes to like the the brand photography, the the way we talk about the the D2C brands on the website, that's that's also from 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 my side because what I want the people who I want to appeal to are D2C brands. And so therefore I want to speak the same language as them and I want to have the same sensitivities to design that they may have. And I do think that that's a differentiator versus a competitor out there that might have uh, not as much not as much care and not as much not not as much of the same psychology um, and motivations as a DTC brand might have. And I do think that having worked with so many different DTC brands and loving this space so much, I, I I share a lot of the same sensitivities that they that they do. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. I think that there there seems a bit of a, a tide turning slightly, although not everyone is subscribing to this idea. But I've noticed a lot of SaaS ecom specific, but just generally SaaS companies, tech that are leaning into more of a D to C type presence. They're really really conscious of the brand, the user experience, how it looks and feels. So like Loop Returns, I think do a good job of that. Mailchimp's actually quite good. Um, Stripe, I think, are quite good, even in the kind of fintech space. Like, and I feel that it is. I, I'm I'm always surprised when I see a B two B SaaS company. I think like, why are you not thinking about this? This just seems like a no brainer. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of old, just kind of shitty design and doesn't speak to like. I mean, I get it to some degree when you think about their target market. A lot of the time is like quite maybe a technical or an operations person, but I feel that they fail to remember that they are consumers themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So they're B2B consumers, but they're going to be B2C consumers. And I don't understand why like they're probably drawn mm-hmm. to the 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 B2C or D2C concepts. So that should apply to them when they're buying software as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, you know, the reason why consumer brands put so much effort into their brands and their brand identity is because things get really competitive. You know, there's lots of different shoe companies out there. So you're going to stand out on brand potentially in addition to performance. And in the B2B space, when you're selling software, there was a time at which uh, things might have been less competitive and you could just have, you know, a simple analytics platform. But now that there's, you know, 10 different analytics platforms, you're going to you're going to gravitate towards the one who are able to connect with the merchants they serve uh more 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 aptly so that's that's why you're seeing that shift to b2b SaaS companies having more more of a design uh, uh angle to them it's just because things are getting competitive on the software front and you gotta you gotta connect to consumers totally. to the buyers yeah 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 it seems like an e- not not an easy differentiator but one that just should be part of the arsenal now i want to switch gears slightly um You've recently, well, we were talking the other day, which I thought was really interesting and it stuck with me about events and basically that like most events suck. And I think that that is, that is a, that is like a thing that's very formulaic and, you know, one could argue the efficacy across multiple fronts. If you're holding an event, the ROI, one is hard to attribute and it's just, you know, like difficult and I don't think there is not a place for them because there is, but you're rethinking them under the 1-800-DDC kind of like umbrella and you're doing some events. Can you talk me through them? And yeah, why did you decide to sort of like buck the trend on 
standard events? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the what we were talking about was uh, how events not not only can they be sometimes they're not fun as an attendee but they're also really they can be really not fun as a as a host organizing an event could be a nightmare and so what ends up usually happening is people lose touch with what they really want to happen at the event which is human to human interactions and connections and they they start thinking about vanity numbers so they're like we're, let's bring in as many people as we possibly can into one room and I'll show my boss that we brought in 150 guests. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, if those guests don't interact with one another, one, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a poor event. So they won't, you know, they won't come back to the next one, or maybe they'll come back to the next one. If you start to promise things like free booze or free food, and now you're attracting a crowd that's not uh, motivated by anything more than free booze and free yeah. food, which is typically a quite quite a bad crowd, and um, and and then and then you know those 150 people that have attended your your event, they might not be the right target demographic for you as a business. So now so now you just wasted money on the wrong crowd, and of course you're not going to get conversions. But usually because because their events, um, someone will easily be able to convince their boss that. You know, we'll see results down the line. These are awareness plays, and we'll see be able to see results down the line. So that's why these events keep happening, and I don't really enjoy them. And they're not fun to organize because people are just stressing out about inviting as many people as possible. So the model I've kind of designed for Wait 100 DTC is uh, is is where I'll I'll team up with um, with uh, well, we did it at Ray the store, which is just a great pop-up shop in in London that you're aware of, Tim. Um, and uh, so you find you find a good environment where there's already a, a good feel of entrepreneurship and like-minded individuals who go to that uh, location. And then I sign, and then it's all about rules. So I say uh, we're gonna we're gonna invite forty people total. That, that's the max the max amount of people. Not one more and not one less. We have to hit 40 exactly. How are we going to do that? We're going to have team leaders. A team leader is responsible to bring uh, a total of five people. So in order to hit that, we need eight teams in total. Eight teams of five, that's 40 people. How are they going to ensure that we're, they're going to bring their five and not bring six and not bring four? Well, we're going to have financial incentives tied to that. If you don't bring five, you got to pay a you know hundred bucks for every non-attendee to come to the event, and those are the simple things that you do to bring together a group of forty people. And by the way, a, getting together a team of five people, including yourself, so really reaching out to four friends, it's very simple to do. Yeah. And usually, those people you're going to pick, you're going to be very proud of, and you're going to have a close relationship with. So that's how you bring a really nice team of five people. And then on top of that, you know, there must be a certain male-female ratio. So it's not the same, uh, the same boring crowd every time. And uh, and they must have, they must be tied. For, for me, what was important is that they're brand operators, because those are the people we want to interact with. Um, but for somebody else, it could be something different altogether. So with these rules in place, you have an event that can be really well curated and organized because you know how many people are coming, you know everyone by name, and then you can be there and facilitate great interactions between awesome individuals. 
and that that ensures a, a good event. So you know, lower frequency of events, lower um, uh, and and more more structure, more rules around how you organize the actual event. Yeah, I think it's a sick idea. I love the sort of like incentivization piece and the kind of like kind of like a crowd element to it where you've got the team leaders and everyone is like on board relationship wise but then also you know they've kind of got skin in the game to make it happen for their unit <laughs> and mm -hmm. so you've got all the units humming then that's an interesting event um i'm keen to switch gears slightly and take a uh, sort of like a, a broader lens <laughs> maybe pose a relatively uh interesting question I've seen commentary that D to C is dead, <laughs> which is rather um, morbid. But what do you think about that? How are you thinking about D to C in, in 2022? Um, yeah, I hear that often as well. I, I genuinely think it's um, the way I look at it is that we're in day one of e-commerce. And it wasn't long ago that you just couldn't buy a mattress on the internet or you couldn't buy a pair of shoes on the internet with Zappos. Yep. It's, these are not, these, these things did not happen a long time ago. And, uh, and if you found, you know, if you think about what the world looks like a hundred years from now or 50 years from now, 20 years from now, if you ask yourself the question, do you think we'll be able to buy more or less things on the internet? The answer is, extremely obvious like obviously we'll be able to buy more things on the internet than we have been able to today so that's what i think ultimately that's what i think about e-commerce e-commerce is uh, by definition buying goods on the internet and we'll be doing more of that so whether it's gonna it's gonna take different uh forms it, it might not always be via a shopify website it could be via other other platforms although i'm very bullish on on shopify um but we will always we will always buy more things on the internet and so i'm completely bullish on it now what's the the, the what's been interesting in this first phase of e-commerce is um uh what's happened around investor expectations of unicorn successes on consumer businesses that don't have the same unit economics as SaaS businesses yep. so we're we're applying returns models that we <laughs> you know would would expect from uh, uh you know the next facebook to a business that's selling pots and pans uh online yeah. and you know if if you just take a look at at existing businesses uh you know maybe like a le creuset or, or those famous businesses already selling pots and pans and what they're trading at whether it's done publicly or they've been acquired in the private markets etc those are the types of returns you should be realistically looking at as a DTC brand, not, not the, the, the SaaS, uh, the SaaS valuations, which have completely different business models and unit economics. So I think that's where the, that's where the, 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 the dissonance has happened over the past few years. And, um, you know, that's, that's a mistake on the investors front, but it's also a mistake on the merchants front yep. who have decided to take on as much risk as they have with hopes of achieving things that are unrealistic. So a lot of those businesses are in are in trouble now as things uh, change in the landscape all the way from media acquisition to um, to just uh, investor appetite. And, um, and, and some of those businesses are going to be in trouble. But uh, 
I, I saw a business the other day selling lots and lots of uh, live snakes on the internet. <laughs> and, and they make a ton of money doing it because people want to buy snakes on the internet. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that simple. It's not yeah. like they don't have a cra- they don't have a crazy valuation. It's just one or a couple people um, uh, f- figuring out a way to source snakes and sell them and sell them online, and they're going to be rewarded for it because there's not that many players doing the same the same activity. Yeah. So uh, that, that when I think about e-commerce, I think about vendors like merchants like that. I don't think about uh, the next Allbirds. Yeah, really yeah. I think it's it's a, it's a really interesting point, and I think the you know D to C is sort of uh, you know it's uh, the market is painted with the same brush when that proportion of the Allbirds of the world is quite small in relation to you know the hundreds thousands millions of merchants that are you know selling stuff online. So I think yeah, you're right that it's like it's unfortunate that things have gotten that way and that. Yeah, I think the word DDC kind of gets rolled into that, you know, it's part of that vernacular and therefore it is potentially got some branding issues, I think. I think the core of it, like you say, underneath is is still there, you know, we're um we're early into this like uh e-commerce journey. But you you touched on something that I did want to talk about, and that is the sort of like where Shopify sits into this kind of like world. What's your kind of thoughts and what where Shopify will be in kind of like the five to 10 year sort of time frame. Well, um, you know, well, I look at my directory and 95% of, of the businesses or 90% of the businesses are using Shopify. So uh, I think they've got a pretty good stronghold on what e-commerce means today. And every new vendor or new merchant that I speak with, they tell me we, we, there's no question they'll be using Shopify to start their their store, um, and then so that's that's Shopify today. Shopify tomorrow, um, you know, we just saw the creation of the 2.0 themes, which are faster, more nimble, uh, etc., which speak to the everyday merchant. Those have been a huge success, and 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 uh, and are continuing to to be the go-to place for. The everyday merchant and then they've introduced hydrogen which you know is the headless offering uh which a lot of merchants are also drawn to because they want to stay within the shopify ecosystem where they might have more access to different apps there's definitely a ton of documentation people are familiar with the the technology from a back-end standpoint uh but it's now in a headless world where you're able to do you to express yourself more creatively in terms of how your website functions and, and and get you know extra performance out of all that so the hydrogen product seems to be pretty good 2.0 is definitely uh, uh highly popular so for me those are the next five years it's still going to be dominated by shopify um there's lots and lots of players trying to take a stab or chip away at what shopify has built but I haven't seen too many that have been uh, truly convincing. So if we maybe once we start shifting the narrative of what is a website, you know, and 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 microsites start to become more of a thing, or people start to sell goods via marketplaces more than they do via direct to consumer websites, then perhaps other players will come up. But for D2C, as you and I are talking about it, um, 
Shopify is looking pretty damn strong for the next five five years. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like it feels that people have tried to chip away at it for the last five years. <laughs> they haven't succeeded very well, right? So there was like the big, I saw the big Magento to Shopify wave. Like that basically powered a lot of the agency I was at for like a good few years. Like it was just Magento to Shopify migration, just like one every three months, just kept on coming, just kept on coming. And there was a lot of naysayers at that point, right? Usually in the Magento camp. <laughs> now they're gone. And it feels like the kind of headless sort of faction of the e-com nerd world is now in this sort of like conversation. And I'm not, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that there's a place for it and there's some really, really cool platforms that are out there. But yeah, it's hard to see how Shopify, they're just so dominant, like just so dominant. And I I think it's, it's both product, but I think they've done an incredible job in terms of their branding and positioning. And they're just like, you know, they're everywhere. Like, they're on billboards in London, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't see. Well, actually, no. I did see a commerce tools one the other day with some famous American actor, which I thought was very odd in Walthamstow on a billboard. There, I was like, <laughs> it's not the best placement. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I, th- I think they are. The, 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 they're going to continue to dominate. Um, I mean, I think the Amazon versus Shopify debate is kind of an, an, an interesting one, but I feel that also that's maybe more. I don't know. It just feels from a brand perspective, unless Amazon start to to deliver some sort of marketplace capability that's more DTC type centric in terms of its look and feel that the sort of traditional DTC brands, unless they need to go proper hardcore marketplace with that sort of product, which is not all of them, then, mm-hmm. you know, they'll look to other cool marketplaces, which are, you know, emerging, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, if you think about the, 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 the physical world, it's like, Amazon versus Shopify is like a department store versus a retail store. They can both coexist. And uh, and oftentimes when people, at least in the conversations that I've had, when people start comparing Amazon to Shopify, it's usually because they're, uh, they're looking at it from like an investing, event, investing standpoint. And they're like, where am I going to make more money in yeah. Amazon stock or, or in Shopify stock? Yeah. And that's a decision that, you know, advice that I can't give. Um, but it's got nothing to do with the reality of, of, of the future of those businesses or, you know, like both, both can coexist and, uh, and, and a presence on Amazon is completely different than having your, your own e-com store. So when I hear the comparison between the two, it's usually through the lens of, of stock picking. It's not through the lens of like, what do these businesses actually do and what value do they provide to the end consumer? Totally. Yeah. That kind of like user experience piece is just a totally different environment. Um, I think we probably need to talk about store tasker briefly, at least because <laughs> like that uh, is like, you know, if you work for those guys, tell me a little bit more about them and what, 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 what you're doing at store tasker. Yeah, sure. So store tasker is an awesome business. They are a, uh, or talent marketplace to access the best Shopify experts. So if you're a brand on on Shopify and you want to hire a talented developer or a talented designer uh, or a talented marketer, you would on a freelance basis, you would come to StoreTasker, put together a brief, submit that, and you'll get matched with a really talented expert in one of these three fields. It's, It's... 
it's um it's really fun because we're we're uniquely positioned in the world of Shopify and the world of of e-commerce uh to source the best talent in the world that's that's operating on a freelance basis and connect them with these these amazing brands. So where we you know where we stand versus the competition is 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 that love and that connection to the e-commerce business owner who has very very different needs than uh you know I look at a business like Market or Hire for example Market or Hire has a bunch of heads of growth or ex heads of growth at Uber or Deliveroo which are fantastic individuals great titles and and really brilliant people they have on board their network but completely irrelevant to an e-com business totally so that's where we fit into the market and um yeah lots of growth there because I think more and more uh talented folks are going to start taking on extra work outside of their day-to-day jobs over the next few years and uh hopefully they'll come to store tasker if they're in the world of e-commerce and that like you know likewise the, the brands are going to be less and less inclined to hire people on a full-time basis to keep themselves more lean and more in line with what it truly means to be an e-com business versus uh you know retrofitting crazy expectations from other industries onto their business model and so they'll be coming more often than none to store tasker to get access to those 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 freelance uh resources so that's store tasker and, and my job is is to run growth for that business so finding more experts and getting more brands to to know about store tasker cool yeah i think it's a great platform i think it like fits perfectly because i think the shopify sort of resource market whether that's agencies that's freelancers or it's you guys is like it can be challenging for a brand right and like i think sometimes an agency can swallow a brand like they just they think they need one but they you know they don't and then the challenges of like working with an individual freelancer them sourcing it themselves and not having your sort of curation process can equally cause a lot of issues yeah. so it's like it's that perfect middle ground and then i think what's interesting is like you know store tasking can work you know in conjunction with both of those other options as well right it's kind of that mm-hmm. like, really really nice middle ground yeah yeah that's the idea so um yeah i mean it's 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 been super fun and um and i know how how painful it is to to find great talent on the merchant side of things so uh we're we're doing our part to solve that nice Right. Final question. Um, what does 1-800-DDC look like in 2023? And then what does 1-800-DDC look like in 2025? 2023 and 2025. Okay. Um, 2023, I want it to be uh, even more powerful than it is today. And in, through the lens of helping merchants find the right tools. So there's more things I want to build from like a searchability standpoint on the website. There's things I want to build, uh, a build including reviews on the website. I want people to be able to browse different reviews of these different software platforms. There's more details I want to add on the different tools on the website. So that's all going to happen by 2023 or throughout 2023. And then 2025, um, that's interesting. There's, there's basically, one thing that I have my eyes on is opening up 1-800-D2C to, uh, to other industries. E-commerce is not the only place in the world where people struggle to find access to the right technologies. 
So is there an opportunity to expand beyond e-commerce and into other uh, industries, applying the same methodologies, the same um, uh, ways of sorting information that have been useful for the e-com uh, operators? So hopefully 2025 is, is a time when I can be in a solid place with 1-800-DTC to start thinking about um, other industries that might need uh, the same solutions. That's super interesting, man. All right. Well, look, we'll have you back on October 2025 and we'll see where you're at. Have a laugh. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Tim, thank you so much for joining me, mate. Yeah, Tim. Pleasure. There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clevio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. You know what they say about folk with glass jaws. <laughs>